Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. And you can look it up too. There's there's a really good page in Wikipedia on EFBs, electronic flight um, bags, and that one will explain all the different classes, the one, two, and three. We're, we're currently running with a class two, which allows like a standalone iPad. Mine would be either wired or Bluetooth to the, the plane's own GPS, so it has a very sweet nav solution. Uh, but then the, the next iteration would be, you know, people actually buying some sort of a tablet or a, a, another screen for the interior of the cockpit, and then that would be integrated into the plane. Welcome back to another episode of iPad Pros. This is an episode I've wanted to record for many years now. My guest today is Milton Davis, who's a pilot for Hawaiian Airlines. Hawaiian Airlines outfits every pilot with an iPad as their electronic flight bag, EFB as you'll hear in this discussion, and has done so for many years now. In this episode, we dive into his background with Apple products, how he got into flying, and his experiences using the iPad as a pilot. If you do listen and have any inquiries for him, he's offered to come back again, so send in any questions you may have as you're listening, and I'd love to cover those in a future episode. You can send those to iPadProsPodcast at gmail.com. You can also message me on Mastodon at tchan at mastodon.world. As a reminder, you can support this podcast over patreon.com slash iPadPros or by subscribing in Apple Podcasts. Every dollar is greatly, greatly appreciated and really does mean the world. So thank you with all my heart to those that do support the podcast at either patreon.com slash iPadPros or directly in Apple Podcasts. With that, here's my interview with Milt. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Milt. I'm really excited for this conversation because um, I've seen Apple promoting the use of iPads for pilots yeah, pretty much since the iPad came out. It's been a while. And uh, and you are a pilot that uses the iPad, so so welcome. Thank you. Um, so uh, kind of to start, a bit of your background, how long have you been flying? Kind of what size planes do you work with? Yeah, um, I'm mostly military in my background. So since uh, 1985, when I went to pilot training, a little bit before that, just at a college level with flying smaller planes, you know, Cessnas. But uh, then I went through Williams and Arizona and got uh, rated as a pilot in the Air Force uh, and then heavy jets after that. So C-130s, um, all variants, really ease, H-1s, H-2s, and H-3s later with the, the Hawaii Air National Guard. Uh, I was stationed in Japan for four years, for my very first four years, and then I did uh, uh, three years in Germany flying a little Learjet, just kind of a, a civilian-based uh, commercial jet, yeah. but more like you know six to eight passengers. Uh, Air Force had them at a variety called a C-21, and that's why I actually first encountered you know like a handheld GPS, not something integrated into the aircraft, mm-hmm. but that would have been 90 to uh, 93, so long ago. Okay. We used a little Trimble, like a handheld GPS, yeah. in order to make sure the nav suite on board the plane was was sweet before we took off. Like and, a calibrated uh, certain almost, areas. or yeah, or or in some cases, I would take what was on the handheld, I would set it on the wing while I was doing the walk around. Yeah. When I came back, it would have a pretty sweet, you know, uh, GPS solution. I could type that into the the nav suite on board the the Lear, and it had the ability to interrogate terrestrial based, you know, like. Uh, VORs and TACANs, mm-hmm. and then it built its own uh, accurate position from that, and we would go down the airways like that. That's really cool. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah, it didn't have any. It didn't have anything built in at all. Okay. Yeah. So when you started, uh, definitely no iPads back then. Uh, no, yeah. that was well before that. Yeah. It was all paper-based pumps. So, yeah, you see, we would carry plates. As we'll, we'll get to in a bit here. Um, yeah. So a question I had, a friend had me include this in the questions as far as airplane mode that we're always asked about. Um, sure. Is this mostly nonsense? I feel uh, at least for like Bluetooth headphones, it seems a little silly. Uh, do cellular yeah. radios on phones really impact your communication with towers or how does that all work? I, I don't think so. Uh, okay. I have not really encountered that myself. I imagine it's probably based, um, and no slam against the FAA, but yeah. they kind of go back a while. It's so an American it's thing, something... right? In Japan and other European countries, is, do they care? Uh, no, they, they they don't have jurisdiction. It's just purely uh, U.S. based. Yeah, they have their their right. own. 
equivalent. In the but equivalent, I, I think it's probably something that predates. Right. Yeah. In the equivalents over there, do they even bother mentioning airplane mode? Is it primarily United States? Um... I don't know if I've heard that on uh, a public announcement on a, a foreign carrier. Right. I don't think I have. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. You know, it might predate uh, um, 3G. It might be something more back when we had edge technology and different signals that were closer to the spectrum. But I don't, I don't think 5G does. We do have concerns in our aircraft that 5G can impact our radio altimeter when we get close to airfields. Okay. So there's, we have to verify the the actual given altitude basis to hide above the ground and what the GPS, is, you know, what our what we're getting from the radio altimeter to make sure it's accurate. Yeah. Make sure that the the five G is not interfering with it. So right. So you can do a safe landing. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> right. Otherwise, it has the capability to kind of throw off everything as far as you know feet to the ground. You know, we get calls at a thousand feet and five hundred feet. It starts counting down as you get close. Those yeah. kinds of things could be biased by you know a strong five G signal. Okay. And I don't. I haven't experienced it, but I just know the spectrums are really close. Yeah. With what we have for our radio altimeter and what the five G is. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I heard. And, and I gotta say, I'm, that, yeah. I'm, a, I'm an operator. I'm not an expert, so I just <laughs> right. kind of know what I what I learn as I go. But I, I'm not an expert in these fields. Yeah, so. absolutely. So, um, back to the Apple stuff because we're gonna talk about the iPad quite a bit here. Um, I can tell just based on your email address. That you are an old time Apple user. You have a prized Mac.com email back from the dot Mac days and mobile me came yeah. out in 2008. So this is pre pre then. Um, what's been your history with Apple products? Like what was your first Mac and, and how quickly did you embrace uh, iPhone and iPad and all that? Yeah, I think I had two Macs that were really my, my only home computer starting with, uh, in 1993. Yeah. So probably I had, a. Uh, uh, something that was past the classic Mac. I think they called it a Performa yeah. back then. Yeah, yeah. It was not a pretty nondescript set of boxes. And then I, I finally I think I had two of those and ended up getting one of the cubes, like the, the graphic gray-looking, nice. the old uh, iMacs, one of those. Yeah. And then just kind of kept going forward. Uh, I found now I'm on a, on a, a, iMac, or a, a Mac Mini because it's just it's so easy to hook up other peripherals and to change out just that one little box now. Yeah, no, the Mac Mini is a great little device and keeps getting better. Um, so, yeah. as far as the iPad, how has that been for you? Like, when did you get your first iPad? What are the different ones you've had over the years? Uh, I got the iPad version two, uh, I think, shortly after I left the store because mm-hmm. a lot of us could kind of tell that there was something that was going to be coming that was going to cover the, the tablet, but it had not been announced. Yeah, we had you know our own concepts and everything. But I had a two I picked up and had that for several years and actually flew with it at my current job pre-having an EFB. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a a standalone GPS that would go in the windowsill by a company called uh, Dual, D-U-A-L. You can still purchase them on Amazon. Yeah. Very cost-effective. And so I could run with a moving map and plates on on that, which was nice. Mm -hmm. That was probably 2012. Okay. And uh, your current iPad or iPads, what are you um, rocking these days? Yeah, uh, I've currently got a company-issued one. It's a version 7 on the base model iPad. Mm-hmm. It's this one right here. Yeah. And it's it's been serving me good. We're getting ready to change them out. And I think Jerome is looking at where the cost of it's going to be effective enough to get pros for the all the pilots or nice. whether we're going to go with the base model. Right, yeah. But, yeah, we, we, we need to update it because it's a little bit of latency, latency in some of the apps. Yeah. So hopefully that'll cure it. Personally, I carry a mini. I love the mini for the size factor. Yeah. And I've got a, the latest, the version, I think it's six, where yeah, it's got the, the, one that's, the button. And yeah, cover. bezel-less and all that, yeah. Yeah, right. That yeah. has a full screen. Yeah, nice. Yeah, but I had a four before that, and I think I had a, a three before that. So they've, it's been a, a great traveling tool. Nice. Yeah, and something that um, Apple has you know pointed out about the iPad mini uh, a small form factor is like it's great for pilots. Is the smaller like iPad Mini better in the cockpit? Like, if you had the option, would you prefer the Mini or would you prefer a larger screen to work with? You know, I like the larger screen personally because mm-hmm. the cockpit I fly in. I'm in an Airbus now, a three thirty. Yeah, so a much larger aircraft, and at night and stuff, it's it's well lit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the smaller one, I think, with you if you're flying uh, privately, you know, if you had like a, a Cessna, you're learning. I've seen some setups where people have it on like, um, uh, like a, a lap 
you yeah. know, a uh, strap for their, their leg strap. Mm-hmm. They'll put it there or mount it someplace in the cockpit. Uh, and yeah, that smaller might be good. Some of them, I mean, it has pretty good signal kick pick up on its own with the GPS. So, yeah. Um, yeah, they're not bad. And they use a program, I think generally in the, the, the smaller planes in general aviation are using, um, at, we use Jeppesen and they use, I got to look it up here, ForeFlight. Okay. So ForeFlight is something I've been playing with, but I'm not as familiar with because I didn't come out of that that world, but yeah. most of the people going through training all are using ForeFlight. And in a lot of cases, I, I texted a friend of mine today and asked her what she was training with and working with, and she uses a, a Mini with ForeFlight mm-hmm. when she's training, and then she's using a, a full screen across the ramp over here at Mokulele with the, with the caravan flying commercially. Okay. Yeah, ForeFlight I've heard yeah. a bunch about. So um, that's used both privately yeah. and commercially? or I think some carriers, but, but I mostly know. I know Mokulele when I saw them. Mostly privately and mm-hmm. some of the small carriers because okay. that's really that's involved with a lot of training. Yeah. And they both have their strengths. I I actually uh, I run both. I, mm-hmm. I bought a, a personal membership to ForeFlight and I have that. I don't often or I don't always use it because I've got the Jepson one in my, my company one. Yeah. But sometimes they, they kind of cover and do a little bit different functions. Okay. And uh, as far as accessories and cases, anything notable? You mentioned like a leg strap that some people use. Um. Yeah, some people in, in uh, really small aviation would, would do that. With us, we have a mount that's built into the windowsill, mm-hmm. and a case actually snaps into it, and it's the case is called Pivot. Yeah. So you can see that little recess there just snaps right on the bar. Oh, nice. You put it in there and holds it, and so you can rotate it in any aspect you need. Uh, the plates are probably better observed with a portrait landscape. Yeah. And then I use, like, the moving map. I'll use it more to a landscape view. Oh, wow. So um, we haven't mentioned this, but you fly for Hawaiian Airlines, and it sounds like they've I do. really embraced this. If they're like mount, like you're able to mount, mount it into the actual dash dashboard area, like um, uh, it's a sideboard. Side- so like uh, okay. if you would look over where the, where the side window, it goes directly below that okay. where there was I just see. kind of an open spot. Yeah. Uh, more uh, recent developments and some of the newer design aircraft have, EFBs that incorporate that into the actual dash. Oh, wow. but that's not what we're doing. Yeah. And you can look it up too. There's there's a really good page in Wikipedia on EFBs, electronic flight um, bags. Mm-hmm. And that one will explain all the different classes, the one, two, and three. We're, we're currently running with a class two, okay. which allows like a standalone iPad. Mine would be either wired or Bluetooth to the, the plane's own GPS. So it has a very oh. sweet nav yeah. solution. Nice. Uh, but then the, the next iteration would be, you know, people actually buying some sort of a tablet or a, a, another screen for the interior of the cockpit. And then mm-hmm. that would be integrated into the plane. Okay. So, yeah, I've seen that on like an Airbus 330, like a, a newer version, like they have a, an Airbus 330 uh, Neo mm-hmm. with more efficient engines. And it adds two more screens outboard of the existing four we have Yeah. for the EFB. That's so, very cool. And if it's um, yeah. wireless, is that a, a Bluetooth connection? Is there a Wi-Fi on that air? Or how, how would it connect wirelessly? Yeah, you can do either wired through, there's a what's called a TIM, which uh, hooks into the aircraft's uh, GPS and IRUs. Mm-hmm. So it has, ours has three laser ring IRUs for GPS, or for, um, for uh, inertial set. And then yeah. those also get fed by two separate GPSs. There's a there's a box in there that puts it all together for you, but you could wire into it or you can Bluetooth into it. Okay, very cool. Yeah, I was going to ask um, if they outfit you with cellular enabled iPads because I know those iPads also have GPS um, internally, but it sounds like that's not even needed since you guys just hook into the planes on board GPS. Right, and that's going to be a lot more accurate with the antenna array and everything. Yeah. So you mentioned iPad 2 is kind of when you started using iPads. Um, what have been some of your favorite kind of changes to either the OS or hardware to the iPad over the years in regards to piloting? Has have anything has anything really uh, been a big upgrade over the years um, for that? You know, I think it's just generally been incremental improvements in the iOS. It's been nice, but nothing really stands out. Uh, we did use Jeppesen on another uh, tool before we had a Surface Pro. Mm-hmm. And so going from that with Jepson to Jepson on this one was kind of a nice upgrade for us. 
because the i the iPad was more stable. It didn't yeah. uh, I didn't uh, fail. But the Surface Pro was a great you know like like a little computer in the plane, but it was maybe a bit too much you know for what we were doing. Our needs are pretty simple. Gotcha. Yeah, and I'd assume most of the time you wire in, and does it also charge the iPad with that? Or yep. Yeah. Yeah, we have a USB-A, our USB-A connection to the, the aircraft, mm-hmm. so that can give it power as well as uh, position. I just take it a step further and actually link it Bluetooth to the, the actual nav suite so that okay. it's, I can walk around with it. I can be sitting in the center chair and not actually plugged in and still have a, a moving map and have everything I need. Nice. So. Okay. And the battery on that thing lasts uh, for six-hour flight is typical for you or... Um... Yes, yeah, six to ten hours. Um, we have to have it charged to a minimal level before we take off, mm-hmm. or we'll have to swap it out and get another one. Yeah. But then that that charging capability with plane usually works fine. Okay. If it doesn't, we have a, a plug where we can plug in, like with the, our own uh, adapter, mm-hmm. and I can use a USB C and charge it up really quickly. Okay. So nice. it's never really an issue. Yeah, I have a standalone battery pack too. I have a a pretty big one that can power pretty much everything. Oh, nice. You yeah. know, as we're going. Mm-hmm. So if I need to, I could plug into that if something really went radically wrong and still have at least a moving map and everything I needed to land, you know? Yeah, excellent. And um, so the us has improved over the years, but um, I'm guessing the apps themselves have probably changed and improved dramatically since this first was a thing. So how has yeah. that been? Um, it's, been it's been really good because uh, we use a company called Jeppesen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... The, the folks that are working on our, our stuff is, is currently up in Washington state mm-hmm. and it's just, uh, it's gotten better and better throughout the years. So literally everything from a moving map display on whatever chart you want to have, like a high IFR chart or a low VFR chart, if you want to see road structures or more mm-hmm. details like that. And then plates and information for actually landing. So. Uh, without boring you, we have plates yeah. to show us how we're going to land with like an instrument landing system or like a GPS mm-hmm. approach or like a VOR approach. We have all those on that app where you can just pick it up and look at it. Okay. And so walk me through a bit, like at the beginning when you're first using this, what was kind of the baseline feature set and what were some of the major kind of additions that you guys have seen added over the years? Right. Yeah, initially I used it more just as a moving map and to kind of augment what we had because mm-hmm. we were, of course, carrying paper charts, right. which was like several volumes and quite a bit of weight. It'd be like carrying around maybe four old school um, uh, phone books, Yeah, you know, like the white pages. I think you'd have to pull out what plates you wanted and there was this constant upgrade process mm-hmm. with putting new charts in and taking the old ones out. Yeah. Then when we went over to the electronic flight bag, the EFB, then that got replaced by basically just pushing a button and it would update itself, you know, professionally. So that was a huge uh, win for us. It's, yeah. It saved a, a lot of time with changing those things out. A lot of paper too. <laughs> well, yeah, a lot of paper. Yeah. yeah. And we're working more and more towards having a, you know, a paperless cockpit. We're, we're probably somewhere on the spectrum. There's some companies that are purely paperless mm-hmm. and then there, there's us who still rely on some things to print up and, and mark on. Yeah. Do do the apps provide any way to like use an Apple Pencil and annotate um, annotate anything? You know, I have one on my Mini, mm-hmm. but I have not used it on the 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 main one. Um, I'm sure there are companies that use it, and they probably uh, I think SkyWest notably, I've heard they have their aircraft log on there, so they can actually write up things electronically yeah. and send it over to the maintenance team, so that they can see what's going wrong or what's going right with the aircraft, all mm-hmm. that. We still have a physical book that I'm looking at and okay. writing things up and yeah. signing things off with. So we're not quite there, but I'm sure the pencil will come into play later. Yeah. Is the uh, weather data at all offloaded right before a flight takes off, or is that in the EFB? Yeah. I think I saw one of your questions involve, you know, if you use a Wi-Fi or whatever, I, I'm more prone to use my, my phone as a hotspot. Yeah. But I can update the weather, uh, and it'll put uh, all the, the uh, terrestrial base, like um, – ground base radar, mm-hmm. as well as some projections for like uh, winds and for turbulence. So you can see that in route. Yeah. And you do that as close to taking off as possible. So later on, we're going to get, and I think some carriers already have, they have, you know, of course, um, inter, you know, internet airborne, mm-hmm. 
we're going to get the Starlink system, and then I think in our company it's slated for like the third quarter of this year. Nice. So that'll add a lot of utility to like the um, like you're asking about weather and displays as you go. Yeah. So migrating from paper to digital, um, would you say uh, the the tool set is it easier to work in this iPad setup? Is it without kind of de- dealing with finding the right page and kind of looking up the information that way versus having it more streamlined? Yeah, it's it's good. We we do use like the we call it a, a flight plan or a, we call it a release, mm-hmm. and that shows everything we've talked with with a dispatcher for weather and uh, fuel planning and all those things. We we can see that on the iPad, and you can make annotations on it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but we're we're currently still using a paper version of that, just because I you know I find just having a paper copy of the flight plan itself and being able to write on it kind of helpful. You know, yeah. just in flight. I'm sure you could do it on the iPad as well, and I've seen guys do mm-hmm. that. I'm just not sure if it's uh, as easy to work with. Maybe, yeah. Or maybe I'm just old school. I don't right. know. <laughs> I like having a little bit of paper. Yeah. I'd like to get it to where it was really only just the release I was looking at and writing on, and everything else was for reference on the iPad, you know, for reading. Yeah. And um, when you're flying, it's you and a co-pilot? Is that kind of the setup in there? It just depends on the length of the trip. So we go either with two. A three or in some cases we'll do a four man crew. Okay. And is that, that like and it would be, you know, for, for girls and guys. Is that allow for sleep if there's a long flight especially? Yeah. Yeah. We we have bunks downstairs in our plane. So we, we have a, a lower crew module mm-hmm. we can hop down into and if it's your turn to break you can sleep down there easily. Yeah. And then we'll have, you know, two people at all times in the cockpit. Okay. Very cool. So um I want to just just basics on piloting um, a bit. So, sure. driving car, you're using pure visuals to kind of navigate. Uh, from my understanding, is this correct that piloting you could basically pilot without a window with any visibility because you're using instrument panels, you know, iPad with the map and everything is alt- altimeter stuff like that. Um, would ask it, how how much of that is accurate or what kind of yeah. It's a good question. Uh, the, the iPad in those instances when we're getting ready to line is, is more, our land is more for reference. Mm-hmm. I'll look over and, and verify altitudes at certain fixes if we're coming in. Yeah. But we're looking at the, the screens on the plane, at the yeah. glass on the aircraft mm-hmm. at that point because it gives an excellent presentation for the landing. Yeah. It just depends on the weather. We can land by looking outside visually and that's, mm-hmm. that's fine and works great. Yeah. And it's actually fun. Uh, and, or we can have certain degrees of using automation and flying through weather and not seeing the ground yeah. and having a visual presentation on the, the screens and mm-hmm. you kind of build it in your own mind where you're at and then landing like that. Some of which we, we need to see a certain amount of visibility and or ceiling to land. Yeah. And then others, uh, if we're talking about like cat two, cat three work, we have very minimal visibility needed. In the case of cat three, you can actually be landing with the weather below what you can actually see the airfield. Right. So we need more visibility just to taxi the aircraft. Yeah. To see the ground where after we land. So that would be entailing like cat three would be like an auto land where the plane can see it uses that radio altimeter I was talking about earlier to actually flare and we more monitor to make sure the aircraft is seeing everything it needs to see. Yeah. No, very cool. And um, as far as, you know, future evolutions of this that you can see um you mentioned like building this kind of stuff into the cockpit itself um larger screens and stuff like that would that be something that would benefit uh, being able to manipulate um kind of bigger surfaces to work with or yeah it could be that could be where it's going um certainly when everything we have internet on with you know it's like ubiquitous throughout the plane We'll be able to get better pictures on those screens and things like that. So not only will we have what the aircraft can see with mm-hmm. its own radio or radar altimeter, I'm sorry, with, with its own radar looking out, that builds a picture for us. Would have actually maybe satellite footage or uh, progs or things like that that the weatherman can give us, you know, updated on the iPad itself. So that would be a huge update going forward. Yeah. Uh, rather than being looking at stuff that's maybe you know five or six hours old from when we took off, you know. Yeah. And right yeah. Mm-hmm. if we went to a class three, then it would be all uh, built into the aircraft. Mm-hmm. But that that's tricky too because the manufacturers involved. It has to pass certain criteria for 
the design, and those all those are all things that cost. Whereas, you know, putting a mount on the side of the wall of the plane is something we have to go through the FAA to do, but mm-hmm. changing out the iPad itself is, is uh, relatively inexpensive compared to the, you know, hardware inside the aircraft. Yeah, absolutely. And so you mentioned it interfaces with the plane, but um, it seems like a tricky balance, like as far as seems like piloting uh, historically, there's a lot of knobs and switches and very physical tactile things you're working with versus just uh, kind of thinking of cars, the Tesla model where everything's just behind a screen. Um, where's that right. balance strike you for piloting? Oh boy. It's a good, that's a good question. Um, well, the interface with the iPad is totally different, right? right. Sort of push on an app switching yeah. uh, in the aircraft. It's, it's always going to be a varying degree of how much automation we're using. Mm-hmm. You know, like some from fully automated where the plane is, is basically fully managed and flying a course and everything down to the ground yeah. to uh, something less than that, where I'm going to put speeds in the panel uh, that I can dial up a speed or a heading or an altitude and it's flying to that. And then back it up even further from that, we're actually hand flying. Yeah. So I can see what the flight director wants to do, but I'm actually manipulating flight controls to move the plane to that. Mm-hmm. And, that would be basic all the that would be basically all the different kind of automation through it. Yeah. And I'd imagine the more weather and turbulence, the more manual, or is it get even more automated the trickier it gets? Uh the more weather, probably the more reliance on automation yeah. just so we okay. can kind of manage it all easily. Mm-hmm. Uh the aircraft actually, believe it or not, has a turbulence function. So it's able to feel the bumps and then put kind of a sine wave alternate to that, much like a noise canceling oh. headset into the flight controls yeah. to try and balance that out. And sometimes it works. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Other times you're like, it's just, I'm not sure it's doing its job or not, but you know, you could, you could take it off and see if it's better or worse. But yeah. I imagine it's, it's dampening out some of that, you know? Yeah. So I'm curious about some of the key apps you use in regular basis. We've talked about them, but I guess, um, uh, Hawaiian airlines has their own proprietary app, right? That's, and and what what are all the functions this app provides? Like, do you have like I, I'm not sure. Like, you have a passenger like itinerary, a list of how many people are on board sure. and stuff like that. Even or those are things that are passed through us through the A cars. Mm-hmm. So the, the aircraft has its own printer, and so we get information for uh, last minute details after they load the bags and all for uh, the performance for the aircraft based on the weight, the takeoff weight, and everything. And we also get all the specifics on number of passengers, where they're located. If there's any dogs on board downstairs, so I make sure to keep that compartment warm. Yeah. Uh, the weight CG, these things we all compare against what, what numbers we were expecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something the aircraft does, not necessarily done on the iPad anymore. Right. And not something that's really passed over via the iPad. Um, for this one, probably the primary function we use is that Jeppesen app I was telling you about for mm-hmm. plates and moving maps. Uh, and it even has the GPS built into it, you can see not only your, your own aircraft or own ship on mm-hmm. the moving map, but you can see it on the plates too. So as we're moving across the ground, getting ready to land, it's a big situational awareness tool to see where you are in reference to the fixes. You see your little plane like tracking around. The fixes meaning? Um... Oh, like as you're flying an instrument approach, you're going to come up with a, like an initial approach fix and a final approach fix. I see. These all have associated altitudes yep. for us. Uh, based on our own procedures, I'm going to be configured at one, you know, one setting or not. Mm-hmm. When I hit the final approach fix, I'm going to be pretty much if the weather's bad, you know, at my approach speed with my final flap selected with my gear down on a pro- programmed descent rate. So it's all very stable. Okay. So it's nice to be able to see on the plate when that's coming up, yeah. you know, and I can see on the aircraft in- instrumentation too, there's a, a horizontal situation indicator, like a, a glass that shows you like a God's eye view of where mm-hmm. we are. But the, the both of them complement each other really well. You know, the, the plate versus the aircraft systems. Yeah. Does the app have any way to have predictive information for other planes in the sky as well? Um, not yet. That would be something we could do in the future, too, mm-hmm. like ADSB, which would show other aircraft around us. That's what we actually see uh, on our screens in the aircraft. Okay. So that's where we're kind of using the iPad to set the aircraft up yeah. as far as... Uh, um, altitudes and everything and making sure, verifying everything. And then we're flying pretty much off the aircraft screens and just looking at this for reference. I see. Yeah. And if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, the app itself, um, do you have to update its data 
like minutes before the flight? Can you do it that more like, uh, you know, 12 hours in advance or how, how much before the flight do you have to get your iPad on some kind of internet to make sure it's up to date? Yeah. Well, like before we push back, I'm usually got it hooked up to something in Honolulu. It's going to be hooked up to probably the company server mm-hmm. so I could check and make sure, or I might've checked it that morning. Uh, so it's not every minute, it's you know, every few days. Okay. You'll get updates to plates and to in-route information and, uh, maybe additional features too. As, as yeah. the app is, is is growing, you know. Okay, and then um, yeah. so you have your personal mini, then the seventh generation company iPad. Is the company iPad right. pretty locked down, like as far as no Netflix and entertainment or leisure apps on that one, or are you able to install other apps? Yeah. No, it's professionally managed, so that covers um, giving us the access to Jepson. Mm-hmm. It also has. Um, like good reader, yep. we have our own app called content, okay. uh, and it's access to really all the ships, um, logs or not ships, logs, ships, uh, manuals. Okay. So I could basically see everything from how to perform or, uh, basically how to understand a system. We can pull those things up. Yeah. Yeah. Like many, many manuals that we can see where normally we would have had that onboard the aircraft referencing it or carrying our own copy of it, which is a lot of weight. Yeah. So that. So that's big. That, the content is big, and that also allows us to look at the, the release of the flight plan information that day. I can bring it up and read it in flight. So all your reference material is right there for in route, you know. Yeah. And um, as far – so the iPads themselves are, are um, as you said, you have like a good reader comparable type app. Um are those the only two apps you have, or are there, do you have Safari? Like, what other apps uh, do they have installed in the, the company? We do have Safari. It, it's somewhat limited in that we can go to just pretty much company sites and, and different weather sites and all. Mm-hmm. You're, you're a little bit limited as to what you want to uh, do with that, uh, but that that does work pretty good. Um, the the content app, which is kind of like Good Reader, it just has it has a tremendous amount of information there. Which would have been, you know, a few years ago would have been like a couple of suitcases to carry around to get <laughs> all those, you know, yeah. logs and stuff, uh, the aircraft manuals and stuff. That's really been that probably the second most often used app. Uh, another one that we use is called CrewPad Pro, and it actually allows us to do computer-based learning right on the iPad, mm-hmm. which is nice. I could do it on my Mac at home or a PC, or I can do it here, and I can pre-download the courseware. And like listen to it in route, listen to it when it's you know quiet oh, nice. in the aircraft over the water and stuff. So I can do some of that things we're required quarterly to do and annually to do uh, simulator training as well as um, computer based learning. And um, is the the courses is it for new information about like new vehicles that the company might be getting, or is it just refreshing your knowledge on stuff you should already know? It's refreshing what you okay. know. So, you, like in this, I think this uh, this round I'm going through has like a general overview, and then I'm going to be the systems we're going through this year or this quarter is going to be hydraulics landing gear. Mm-hmm. So every every quarter is going to be a little bit different. And then I just got done with my recurrent training last month, so we did uh, a little bit more systems and things as a group. We mm-hmm. actually met, and then at that time we work on like. Uh, how to use the emergency equipment in the aircraft, how to deploy the slides and doors and stuff like that. Hands-on kind of stuff. Yeah. And have a meeting kind of with management. And then we have, uh, for us, we have three days of simulators to kind of go through all the things we can't do in the aircraft mm-hmm. and to present, you know, new procedures and new things that we're trying to learn as a group kind of thing. Okay. The simulators, uh, what is that setup like? Um, you're not in, you're, it's a physical um, recreation of the cockpit with like a, a screen that surrounds uh, simulate the viewer. How, how advanced is that these days? Yeah, they're, they're very advanced. Uh, I think ours would be, uh, I think it's a category C um, simulator. So it has, you know, pretty much uh, maybe 120 degrees up to down and like 180 or 200 degrees left to right view mm-hmm. with several screens. I believe it's a mylar kind of material. They pull, flat with a vacuum yeah, and they project on that with several cameras. I, I used to work in that community over for Boeing and pick them with the C-17 simulators. So we would have like three cameras that would project and they, they project and they have little seams between them, but you can 
kind of gray that out and make it look right if you're good with visuals. Mm -hmm. So it does look really authentic when you're in it. And then it does full motion. So the, the modern ones don't use hydraulics anymore. Uh, what we had over at Hickam and what we have at, at Hawaiian, they're electronic jack screws to move the, the, uh, the cockpit, as it were. It's on a, on a four arms or five arms or something. And they're unique to each aircraft. So we have, yeah. What are the cameras ahead. capturing that you were talking about? They're, they're actually projectors. So they're projecting the visuals for oh, us to fly through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we're practicing like low visibility stuff, like the, I was telling you about the Cat 2 or Cat mm-hmm. 3, we can go ahead and address that in the simulator and try all the different iterations of what might go wrong and get familiar with that before we actually go and do it in the plane. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, um, um, I've been enjoying um, the PlayStation VR uh, 2, and they have the um, the Grand Turismo 7, which is like a racing simulator. And I've got the racing wheel and pedals. Okay. And um, that oh, experience cool. is just, uh, it feels like I'm in like a, a high-speed racing car. So I can only imagine, you know, corporations' money and building out these simulators for, for flying must just be um, incredible as far as how close they get to the real thing. It gets, it gets really... Um really close. And in fact, the, the ones we have, we get our typewriting in it. So when I go through all my training and I go through my simulators to learn the aircraft, I actually get typed in the aircraft in the simulator. It's that accurate. Wow. So all the things we can't do in the plane, like, you know, losing an engine during the takeoff roll yeah. before V1 or after V1, continuing to take off, coming back around with one engine and landing in instrument conditions, those things we can do very accurately in the sim with a high degree of accuracy so you can see yeah. how it works and grade each other you know yeah when you were in the military i'm not sure if you can speak to any of this um what works did you have any dicey scenarios of trying to land a, an, an injured uh, plane you know in any regards to there i flew much older planes then so yeah the yeah. incidents of things breaking were happens happened a lot more uh when i was teaching uh, after i was in europe i, I taught at Little Rock in an older aircraft system, a C-130, but mm-hmm. it was like a 62 or a 61 model. Yeah. So the planes are literally older than myself, you know? Yeah. So they, yeah, they, they would happen. We would lose engines pretty routinely there. I would say maybe once a quarter or every six months. Uh, that does not happen in commercial aviation now. Yeah. Uh, in the plane I fly in the Airbus 330, it's, it's uh, beautifully boring. There's very little that goes wrong with it. Mm-hmm. And so that's, it's a nice thing. We kind of actually like that. Yes. There's very few times <laughs> where people actually lose an engine. So, yeah. And it's the, the engine technology has advanced to where it's extremely reliable and there, uh, the roles we have on it are much more powerful than what we had back when I was doing cargo hauling in the military in the you know late nineties. Yeah. Yeah. When, um, my wife and I went to Africa for one of our big trips, um, we, um, flew, um, from, I think it was like Uganda to Zimbabwe, but it was basically just us and the pilot on this tiny like propeller plane that was like from the 1950s. Yeah. It was a very surreal experience. It was my wife was up in the cockpit with the pilot. It was a very cool experience. But some of those older planes, uh, it, it does feel a bit more um, um, precarious. Well, it just it, some of them um, are relying on systems that are that are very analog and and not as uh, not as well done as some of the more modern. Like our, our engines today have their own contract. They're leased for the aircraft. Where we, just, we have one company that leases the aircraft to us, and we have another company that's taking care of the engines. They're that advanced. And Rolls does a, a really nice job on our motors. So Yeah. So outside of the main flight navigation app and um, the continuing education, and you mentioned the kind of um, good reader type app, what, what else – is, is there on the, the iPads that you guys are issued with? Yeah, there's a, there's just a couple more. We use one called, uh, uh, it's just basically for uh, anti-icing. So um, that one is made by the company. It's by a third-party vendor, but it takes into account the types of fluids we're using, what kind of precipitation we're in, and the di- the timing of all that. So mm-hmm. it starts the clock when they when they just finish the de-icing, yeah. you see them run around the outside of the airplane with the, the trucks. Yeah. And then it takes into account what kind of fluid, whether it's a, something that's a de-ice or anti-ice. And uh, it, then based on what temperature it is outside and what kind of precipitation we're up against, mm-hmm. it'll come up with a timing for how long we could be on that. You know, And then before we'd have to like look at the wings or 
stop and go back and get more de-icing going. There's um, never a situation yet, mid-air where it's like ice rain coming down and things get frozen over because things are so hot or is or other situations where that becomes an we, issue. We have onboard systems that take care of that for both the engine and mm-hmm. the, the wings and the empennage to warm it up. But you know, there are situations where you would get where the weather is worse than what we can actually, you know, provide against. Mm-hmm. And we would move out of that weather. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Either climb or, or get around that weather or not fly through that weather. We don't do anything that's, uh, severe, either icing or turbulence. So okay. if those are, are forecasted or, or, um, present, then we don't do those things. Okay. Gotcha. Um, any other that's apps? A good question. Um, that, that, uh, yeah, we have some company specific apps that mm-hmm. get us access to different types of information daily. Like, you know, what crews are flying with, where we're going and everything. And that's kind of proprietary, but it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And then we have one we've just started called uh, Intellex, which actually uh, is able to send, we're able to send a report or uh, a notice if something goes wrong mm-hmm. to the company and then on subsequently to the FAA so they can investigate those things. And it's not usually for any kind of punitive purposes. It's usually... Uh, just so they can track those kinds of things and yeah. see if they see any trends or problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lost my my hydraulics landing coming back from uh, uh, Vegas a few uh, weeks. Actually, I'm sorry, from L.A. a few weeks ago, like two weeks ago. And that took out the main uh, braking system and took out the steering, like the nose steering. So mm-hmm. once we'd gotten you know, uh, safely uh, off the runway and turned it over to the folks that tow the plane in, then I could use that app that actually – report what happened and then the maintenance yeah. guys see, see that our operations people see that and then eventually the FAA actually called and, and got to me and said you know what was happening with that and they could ask follow-on questions too so that's that's a great you know use of the iPad for distributing information to everybody like that and um, are there like industry magazines or publications that you guys have and is that something that the iPads kind of used for at all you know, we, we have those. I actually get a hard copy of, uh, and ours just comes from a union, so mm-hmm. you can kind of see what other carriers are doing. Nothing professionally that we're reading that has to do with systems or operations. All that kind of material would come through the the good reader version, our, our content, in, in the form of like company memos, uh, aggregated company memos, where it'll be all hyperlinked in there. We can read them about, you know, 5G interference with the mm-hmm. plane or uh, new procedures at an outstation going into Austin. That's all pr- present in that reading program. It's not a not a professional publication that does that. Is there a standard uh, protocol procedure if someone leaves something on an aircraft, like the lost and found system? What is supposed to happen um, if it's yeah. not stolen from a, a, a future passenger? <laughs> yeah, I think that in, in the back of the plane, they probably have a lost and found at that that airport with that carrier. Yeah, uh, for us. Like if I leave something behind and we're famous for leaving things behind, right. usually the next crew will recognize, oh, that's, that's Milt's, you know, he's left his iPad or yeah. his hat, you know, or something. And so, uh, if, if they're kind, they'll, they'll give it to the station manager. So when I come back mm-hmm. for the aircraft, I'll, I'll get it. Or if I'm, if I already left and went home, they'll bring it and put it in. We have our own lost and found yeah. inside ops. So I can go grab, retrieve my, my hat, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Very cool. Do you pilot, um, like smaller planes, like as a hobby thing, I, I, it seems weird to say, but do you fl- fly for fun as well outside of the big commercial jets these days? Yeah, I, I don't actually. Yeah. I have friends that do that mm-hmm. and, and fly up at Dillingham and fly gliders and things like that. I, I, I don't. I have other things I like to do, but right. you know, not who's to say I might do something like that in the future. I don't know. Yeah. Um, for those that do fly from the smaller planes, you're mentioning um, – What's the main um, kind of app store app for for um, flying? From what I understand, and I'm, I'm, I've got a subscription to it, but ForeFlight seems yeah. to be very popular in that community, and it incorporates a lot of good information for for general aviation like that. So, like in Hawaii, you made a flight, you might have flown on uh, Mokalele that mm-hmm. flies the caravans or Makanikai. Yeah, uh, I think some of those carriers are using that in the cockpit. Or they may use that and Jepson. I don't know. It's been a few years ago. I flew with them and noticed they were using that, and it's it does a nice job of presenting that that um, information for them. And it's um, similar it's a information different tool. from what uh, you use. Oh yeah, yeah, very similar to what we use for Jepson. It's just a different company that's uh, puts that out. Okay. So, 
but I, I really shouldn't speak to it because I don't have a lot of experience. Sometimes I'll run the Jup app on our company iPad and I'll run ForeFlight because I think it has another another layer of information for weather and stuff on the side so I can see both screens moving and I might have a better idea of what we're going into yeah. uh, besides the aircraft's own radar. So, um, But I don't do it every flight and uh, I'm just kind of learning myself on that. Yeah. And um, in your experience, how widespread is the iPad in commercial piloting? Is it... Uh like, do does every airline have this as a pretty standard thing? Do some use Android tablets or Surfaces, um, or is iPad the pre- predominant? Yeah, and yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh, we actually had initially we had a Dell uh, product that we used hmm, when yeah. we first had an electronic flight bag. Then we went to the Surface Pro, mm-hmm. and then we found that the folks that write the app for us, we're not going to support the Windows-based machine. So yeah. everybody was pretty much migrating over to the iPad. So I think now it's not every carrier, but probably the vast majority of them would use an iPad running either uh, some semblance of Goodreader or their own. Like our our content is like Goodreader and it's professionally mm-hmm. managed. So I just have to update it and all my, all my publications, and all my manuals get updated for me. So they probably run with something like that, and they probably run with Jeppesen. So that's yeah. that seems to be the, the gold standard for uh, for commercial aircraft. Okay. Do you also um, do you have a company issue phone as well, or what other kind of tech do you get from um, the the company? No, we don't have phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do have some uh, cellular connections at some of the gates for us to mm-hmm. update things, and that's nice. But no, we don't have phones issued to us or anything. And in fact, my my iPad, I had a cellular card in it, like a virtual SIM for right, a while, yeah. and I found it was actually a little quicker on uh, hooking up to my phone if my phone had a 5G yeah. set. So I, I, I discontinued you know, having the, the chip in it, but the company doesn't provide that or anything. Okay. I, I think their idea would you'd use a, use a Wi-Fi you know, signal in your, your mm-hmm. hotel or maybe at the airport and update things before you get on the plane. I, I, I kind of like being able to do it you know, right as we're pushing right. back off my phone. Yeah. And... Um, is the iPad something you use outside of piloting? You mentioned you had an iPad Mini. Um, kind of what role does it serve in your broader life? That, you know, um, do you do much computing itself on it? Yeah, I'm probably more apt to be on an iOS device. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a Mac, but everybody in the you know that that stays with me or lives with me has pretty much a sign on, so we just kind of share it. Yeah, you know, for for doing things, mm-hmm. and I, I like it for some activities, but I, I think probably the um, the iOS and what's on the i the iPad is easier and simpler for me to travel with and to use. And yeah. my, my needs are pretty simple too. So right. um, I don't really need a, a heavy computing machine. I'm not doing like Final Cut Pro or anything like that. Right. So yeah. I might be editing some pictures or some short videos, but uh, I'll use it to check mail and run through some things and delete some things. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, I like both the Mac OS and the iOS, but I probably am gravitating towards using more of an iOS device for my daily. Yeah. Do you, um, as far as the life of a pilot, do you get to take advantage of your destinations at all? Do you have like a couple days in different cities to like explore? And do you have a fancy camera you bring with you to kind of, are you into that kind of stuff or what, what do you do? Um, to play you know, um, I did for a while. I carried a small Sony, like a mirrorless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, I found that the cameras and the, and the um, phones now were so good. Yeah. And I, I bought a lens through moments. So I've, I have like a 58 nice. millimeter lens for the, yeah. uh, the iPhone. Uh, I've got a, um, three mini. Yeah. It, it can just like connect to that. So it takes really nice pictures. So I don't really bring the camera along so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as like where we go and having time, that's very carrier specific. So yeah, we're lucky at Hawaiian. We have shorter trips and we have longer trips. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm currently real junior in the left seat, so I'm just a reserve guy. Yeah, I, I wait until other people call out for a trip or they're sick or something. Mm-hmm. And so I get a whole uh, plethora of, of trips going everywhere, but I don't get to really choose where I'm going to go. Um, okay. When I was more senior in the right seat, I would do like a five-day Auckland, New Zealand every month and yeah. go ride bikes and spend oh, time outside cool. there. And yeah. that was kind of my... That was my jam. You know that, or uh, I was spending a lot of time in, in New York City uh, and Boston too. Those are both longer layovers. We yeah. had like four day trips there, so you could have a couple days to kick around. Yeah. And your uh, routes to these days—is it primarily Japan, Seattle, San Francisco? Are those kind of some of the big? Where are some of the best destinations you, you do these uh, days? 
Yeah, that, no, that's also carrier dependent. So for mm-hmm. Hawaiian, I think we currently got four spots in Japan. We've got Korea. Um, so we go to Incheon. We go to Tahiti and American Samoa for the island destinations. We're just opening up the Cook Islands. It's going nice. to be on our, yeah. our smaller Airbus. Um, we do all, all the inner island here, uh, as well as all the West Coast. And in my aircraft, we do Boston, Austin, and uh, New York City on the East Coast. You go Hawaii to Boston as with the direct layover. It's the longest domestic flight in the U.S. So yeah, that's you'd have to like go all the way down to another island or you know like Lahui or something to get it to go longer. That's that's it's, wild. It yeah. is the longest route. Yeah, as it, yeah, I moved from Hawaii to New Hampshire just an hour north oh. of Boston. So I as I looked at yeah. a map, it's like it's as far as I can pretty much go. But that's that's cool. You, you direct. can go direct. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, you can do directs. I think we have a four day and a three day, so it's probably not daily service just yet mm-hmm. in Boston. When it, the route becomes mature, it's pretty much all three day trips. Like our JFK route is every you know every day, and it's a three day over you know footprint for the crew to be gone for three days. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think you can come over from Boston quite easily. That's really that's really cool here. Um, how did you actually get into flying? Like, what inspired inspired you to join the Air Force and get into this? I, I think mostly my, my dad was kind of, you know, telling me it might be a fun career and he got me into building uh, models when I was smaller. So I had kind of a general interest in aviation yeah. read about it when I was, when I was younger, when I was a boy. Mm-hmm. And then when it, when I got um, time for university, I was lucky and I was able to choose a university that had, uh, you know, a little bit of flying program, but they mm-hmm. also had an ROTC yeah. attachment. So I could come in uh, the air force and get a flying slot that way. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, otherwise, I you know I, I didn't come from a family that had a lot of flying in the background. It was like I think uh, there's no other pilots, <laughs> right? Yeah, and we didn't. There wasn't really any military background or um, you know real wealth to do that. So mm-hmm. the military was a great way for me to learn the flying skills and to do that. So, was it a challenge yeah. to actually get into the piloting end of things? Because I know when you join the Air Force, you're not guaranteed to fly, right? Right. It, it was challenging in uh, university just getting a slot. And then once you uh, get at that location for your initial year, mm-hmm. we did have a pretty good washout rate. I think we started with 36 and we ended up with graduating like 20 or 21 of us. Yeah. So there was a few people that went on to do other careers in the Air Force. So yeah, it's, it is competitive. Uh, but once you get through that process, then it's much it's much more learning you know, as needed, you know, like when what's, what schools and courses you go to. Yeah, very cool. Well, um, to close it out, I just have to ask yeah. a very, um, I guess, um, just lighthearted question about um, there's a new movie called Plane by Gerald, but- Gerald Butler, you know, 300 star. Yeah. Have Have you seen it? Uh, have you Do you have any thoughts as to the um, the dramatic opening and crash landing and? <laughs> I, you know, I haven't seen it. I've heard people talk about it, so I'm going to go have to go yeah. watch it. The ones that really, to me, that stand out in my mind that are very accurate representations of what might happen was, of course, Sully with, with mm-hmm. uh, Tom Hanks. Yeah. I think is a brilliant movie, if not for the actual um, accident, but for going through the accident investigation. Mm-hmm. That that mindset of, of, of facing off with people at an NTS board, NTSC board and what's important with the flight and taking care yeah. of passengers. That one's excellent. And then the Denzel Washington one with yeah. uh, for flight, mm-hmm. that flight or that crash scene there really I was was emotional and moving to watch. But I thought that was also a really good, yeah. maybe not a good picture of pilots, <laughs> right? But I yes, mean, it was an entertaining view of aviation nonetheless. Yeah, when I watched Flight, I had no idea it was really a movie about kind of depression and and addiction, which is yeah, yeah. Um, and then Castaway is another one that just uh, it, oh it, yeah that hits me a lot. Um, yeah. That one with with uh, Tom Hanks again yeah, going Tom down. Hanks, that yeah. I think it was a was it a FedEx maybe a DC ten or an MD eleven. I can't remember. Yeah, but that that scene was really hard to watch. It was really I think very realistically driven though. Yeah, um, yeah I, I don't take my boots off in flight since that movie. So yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean I think he spent like half the movie looking for his boots. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> um, as far as the size of aircrafts, uh, like freight size planes for that kind of stuff. Is that something that you've ever flown something in, in that size category? Well, yeah, the, the Airbus we're flying now, the 330 mm-hmm. is around just under 300 passengers, depending on the configuration. Yeah. Ours is, I think, 295 mm-hmm. for a full boat. 
it's every bit as big as what FedEx is using for their uh, uh, cargo. Okay. Uh, and and I've, I've flown dedicated cargo planes that were just slightly bigger. Like mm-hmm. the C-17 has a little bit more uh, a gross weight capability. It's a four-engine versus two-engine, so it can like carry a little bit more weight. Yeah. But overall size and all, they're very comparable. Uh, you'd have to get into like a uh, maybe a, a 747, which a few carriers still fly mm-hmm. to get it a little bit bigger than that. But uh, everybody's kind of gravitating towards twins now just because they're the, the motors are very reliable and having just two motors for um, the purposes of maintenance and, and doing the servicing all is a much cheaper operation. Yeah. Do you know, have they been, um, is fuel efficiency something that they've uh, improved over the years? I don't even know kind of the status of improvements with that stuff. Yeah. Uh, vastly improved with the newer, the what they call the next generations. We've got a 321 mm-hmm. Airbus and it has a gear driven fan. So, it's almost like a ducted propeller for a very large fan. It can't fly quite as high, mm-hmm. but it just sips gas. It's, it's really much more Interesting. fuel efficient. Yeah. And then those motors, they're, they're scaling them up, and the uh, Airbus is coming out with a, a larger uh, version of what we fly, the 330 Neo. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a few more passengers, but the motors are more efficient. Yeah. And then our company is shifting over to the 7.8s, and the 7.8s have similarly designed engines, so they're more efficient. Not necessarily bigger. I think we're within ten passengers of each other, mm-hmm. and very very similar size between the a seven eight seven and a three thirty. Yeah, those are both very popular airframes for long distance. Mm-hmm. But the ones we've got, the seven eight sevens coming. Uh, I think we get our first one in like third or fourth quarter this year. They they have much more efficient motors, much more uh, uh, newer engines on them. Yeah, very cool. And um, I've heard. Is it true? Like um um. Do you guys fly as well, like parcels in the, the cargo as well? Is that like, do you have partnerships with like whatever FedEx or UPS or do they do everything on their own airplanes? We have both now. So mm-hmm. in our aircraft, I can fly with uh, a mix of people and cargo or mm-hmm. I can do uh, more dedicated cargo. Yeah. During COVID, we had runs that we were doing just purely cargo. Right. Because there's I would not fly... passengers at that point. Yeah. Right, or we had no passenger. I flew right. uh, with no passengers and went all the way from Incheon direct to L.A. with just cargo. Yeah, and so it's just uh, we're lucky. We have a very large cargo hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, uh, systems on the plane that are made for moving palletized cargo and things around, so you're not just like floor loading stuff. Yeah, so we're lucky with that. Uh, and then we're we're also as a company, we've got a contract with Amazon that's going to begin towards the end of this year, mm-hmm. and we'll have a dedicated freight aircraft. In the same or the same three thirty, but it'll just be for purely for freight. Oh, very cool. Well, yeah. um, is there anything we haven't touched on that you'd like to before we kind of wrap it up? Boy, no. I think you asked some really good questions about where it's all going and uh, electronic flight bags as they're as they're uh, getting more modern and how they're going to be more integrated in the aircraft. That's really nice to kind of look at what what is happening future. Your question with the engines is also really good because the more efficient motors, they tend to move more air, not as fast. Mm-hmm. Like bigger, the fans are getting larger and larger. Yeah. And that's why they're using the gears to, to gear it down to where they can spin a bigger blade at a slower rate mm-hmm. and move more air. But differentially, we're not moving the air that much faster, yeah. but it becomes quieter and a lot more efficient. So that's the big key. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Cause, uh, I, I, of course, you know, wear the uh, noise canceling head headphones, but I'll be kind of curious to just hear right. the cabin noise as as more modern solutions come up. If you'll need less of that, maybe. Yeah, I took off in a seven eight seven just as a jump seater with an American flight, and uh, they they were really good to me. I got to sit in the center seat and you know, right behind the pilots mm-hmm. and watch it because I'm I'm like a dog looking at a watch. It's yeah. a modern Boeing cockpit and. I just noticed, you know, the print on the panels is really large. I'm like, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. But when they when they put the thrust up, it was noticeably quieter than my aircraft. Yeah. And the motors are are located, you know, very similarly on the wing. They were just that much quieter with the higher bypass fans. Yeah. Um, so like in our aircraft, maybe seventy percent of the of the airflow going in the engine goes around the core. It just mm-hmm. goes through the fan. It doesn't get heated or anything. It mm-hmm. just gets pushed. These are going to have even more bypass. It may be approaching 80 or 85% mm-hmm. around the core, more slowly, but larger, larger volumes of air. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, that's that's, that's super cool. Um, yeah, engines are cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I love that stuff. Um, 
Yeah. Um, yeah, this has been a fascinating discussion. I, 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 um, been, yeah, this is great. Thank you, thank you so much for your time today. Good. Um, yeah. It, if you could follow up too, and you want to have a second, you know, uh, podcast as a follow on or something with more questions, just, uh, just reach out. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, any websites or social media that you'd like to promote? Uh, I'm not sure. Sure. I, I'm not a huge, uh, social media person. I, I mean, I, I look at a couple things on Twitter. I do have an Instagram site. You're, you're welcome to follow me on that. It's just at Roadmilt, R-O-A-D-M-I-L-T, Roadmilt. And we take pictures of flying and destinations and where we're going and family and stuff. So it's a lot of fun. Very cool. Well, excellent. Thank you so much, man. Yeah. I really do appreciate it. You're welcome. Yeah, you're very welcome. Well, that was my interview with Milt. My thanks again to Milt for his time recording this episode. And my thanks to you for your time and attention tuning in. You can support this show over at patreon.com slash iPadPros or by subscribing in Apple Podcasts. With that said, I'll talk to everyone again real soon.